Coming up on BBP News, we finally have a House Speaker. President Biden sent a proposal to Congress for $56 billion in aid for Americans, along with so much more. Getting right into the weather today, in Los Angeles, California, it is sunny, 82 degrees. In Houston, Texas, it is rain showers with a high of 51 degrees. In Chicago, Illinois, it is sunny, 41 degrees. And in New York City, it is scattered snow showers, which that's a little scary, with a high of 64 degrees. So, as you may or may not be able to tell, Nick is not here. He is on a much-deserved vacation. He will be back here next week rejoining us, but until then, I certainly do hope he does enjoy his vacation. And we have plenty of news to get into, so I'm just going to jump in. As I previewed at the top, we finally have a House Speaker. On the first ballot, Representative Mike Johnson of Louisiana secured the gavel. The final vote, 220 to 209. Overnight, the night prior, the conservative, who is endorsed by the former president, was able to flip the Republicans who voted against him during the nomination process the night prior. And if you don't know who he is, how he votes, or what he's all about, don't worry, I saved you all that Google search time, and I will tell you all about him in just a minute. So you may be wondering what are his plans now that he is speaker. We don't have to guess because he wrote a letter to his Republican colleagues and all of us and outlined everything. In that letter now, Spe Speaker Johnson says Republicans have a lot of work to do immediately which that is an understatement. The first order of business is figuring out how to keep the government from shutting down in less than three weeks. Speaker Johnson's letter says he is going to push his Republican colleagues to pass the remaining appropriations bills that lays out how government funding is spent in each of the departments, and a handful of these bills are still not passed, and if that's still the case, by the next scheduled shutdown on November 17th, Speaker Johnson suggests passing another continuing resolution to keep the government open temporarily with spending status quo until after January 15th or April 15th. After that's done, the letter lays out a month-by-month quote-unquote to-do list. The plan is to basically start working on the next government sp spending plan immediately that will be due on September 30th of 2024. And the last thing on the to-do list is from October 2024 to December. In all caps, it says expand our majority. So as I promised, I'm going to tell you all about Mike Johnson. He is a conservative Republican from Louisiana. He was elected to the House in 2016, and he serves on the House Judiciary and the Armed Service Committee. And he also serves on the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. He is also vi the Vice Chairman of the House Republican Conference. And before he was a politician, he spent nearly 20 years practicing constitutional law. He voted against the continuing resolution to keep the government open, voted no on Ukraine funding, voted against the bill that federally recognized same-sex marriage last year, and voted no to certify the 2020 election. In the letter announcing his candidacy over the weekend, he quotes scriptures. He says that the federal government has been weaponized against the people, and he emphasizes the importance of 
the Republican conference coming together. He says he can use his background to accomplish all those things and help Republicans keep the House majority in the upcoming election. But just like Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, and Tom Emmer, at this point, Mike Johnson didn't, at the very beginning stages, rather, Mike Johnson did not have the 217 votes he needed to be Speaker, and it's unclear how he got there. So, you know how every time we talk about the government spending, you ask, when are we going to spend money on this country versus in foreign aid? Well, last week, as promised, the president did just that. He asked Congress to approve about $56 billion in supplemental funding for issues right here in the United States. Just so we're clear, this money would be on top of the normal budget spending for government programs and departments. So that's what's included, and here are just a few things that are included in this nearly $56 billion proposal. And the largest of the amount of money, $23.5 billion, would go to the general category of disaster response. The bulk of it would go to aid places like Maui after those devastating wildfires for for hurricane recovery in Florida and flooding in the east. Now you have to understand the way the federal government distributes these relief funds is through FEMA and the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Funding would also go to the USDA to support farmers and ranchers who suffer crop losses because of extreme weather and Department of Transportation to repair roads after weather-related disasters. $16 billion would be used to keep child care facilities afloat. We reported on what many um, call the child care cliff a few weeks ago. That's because funding that has been keeping a large number of child care facilities in this country open and had been keeping costs down for working parents since the pandemic ran out. So this money would keep those funds flowing so child care facilities could stay open and working parents could stay, um, stay in their jobs. $6 billion would go to the FCC to extend the free and discontinued high-speed internet connectivity program for tens of millions of low-income households through December 2024. More than $1.5 billion will go to the Department of Health and Human Services to provide treatment, harm reduction, and recovering support for all states dealing with fentanyl, and $220 million for the USDA and Department of the Interior to prevent cuts to federal wildland firefighter salaries. Now, this $56 billion is on top of the $106 billion President Biden asked Congress for two weeks ago for foreign aid to Ukraine, Israel, and the southern border. I told you all about those details then. These two supplemental budget requests, along with the regular funding of the government, is now the responsibility of the Senate and the brand new Speaker Mike Johnson, who just said he wants to drastically cut government spending. The number of U.S. military members being deployed to the region of the violence between Israel and Hamas is growing. During a briefing last week, the Pentagon confirmed that the Air National Guard's the 119th Fighter Squadron out of New Jersey just arrived in the Middle East last week. That's a squadron of F-16s being added to the other five squadrons of 515Es and A-10s that are already in the region, along with, of course, the USS Gerard Ford and Dwight D. Eisenhower aircraft carrier strike groups. Over the past weekend, the Pentagon announced Army Air Defense Units from Fort Bliss in Texas, Fort Liberty in North Carolina, and Fort Sill in Oklahoma were deployed to the Middle East, and with them went Patriot missile batteries and 
Terminal High Altitude Area Defense Batteries or THAAD batteries. Those are weapon systems that are meant to protect against incoming fire. The Pentagon would not reveal the specific number of troops deployed with these weapon systems and would not say where exactly they are going. All the Pentagon would say is they are going to an undisclosed location in the Middle East to enhance force protection for the United States. But why do they need that? Because the Pentagon says between October 17th and last week, U.S. coalition forces and bases have been attacked by Iran-backed militia groups at least 10 times in Iraq and at least three times in Syria with one-way attack drones and rockets. These are just the preliminary numbers, and they could absolutely grow. But it's worth remembering, not only does the U.S. believe Iran is behind the militia groups that attacked U.S. coalition forces and bases, but Iran has also been backing Hamas for years, which the United States has declared a terrorist organization. The Pentagon's concern is the longer the bloody conflict between Israel and Hamas goes, and the more the threat will grow to the rest of the region. And the president has said that the whole point of putting U.S. military assets in the region is to deter any other group or country from trying to get involved and make things worse. We also reported to you last week that the defense secretary put 2,000 troops on a ready-to-deploy notice. As of today, the National Security Council spokesperson confirmed that none of those 2,000 have been deployed yet, but they very well could be deployed if needed. Just last week, the U.S. and coalition forces were attacked by drones and rockets on Iraq. Again, the Pentagon says the number of attacks against the U.S. and the coalition force are increasing. The Pentagon spokesperson said militia groups in the region were the ones who actually launched the drones and rockets, but the United States hold their holds their backer Iran responsible. The Pentagon says between October 17th and Friday, there have been 12 similar attacks in Iraq and 4 in Syria against U.S. bases on coalition forces. In the attacks on October 17th and 18th, almost two dozen American service members sustained injuries, including traumatic brain injuries. Since then, there have been no injuries from these rocket or drone attacks and no lives have been lost from them. But as I told you just a few seconds ago, the Defense Secretary has deployed more U.S. military members to the region, not just to deal with these militia groups and these attacks, but also to act as a deterrent as no other countries or groups try to get involved and escalate this violence between Israel and Hamas. So you may be wondering, what does Israel and Hamas have to do with these attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria? We're, what we're seeing here is in Iraq and Syria, where our forces are there as part of the Defeat ISIS mission. These groups, uh, many of which are longstanding in that region, uh, are conducting these attacks against U.S. forces. And so um, two separate issues that we're, that we're seeing here. That said, we do know Iran, of course, has a relationship with groups like Hamas, with Hezbollah, and with these um, militia groups that, that we see in Iraq and Syria. And there you go. It all comes down to Iran. Now, the Pentagon spokesperson, as you heard, would not confirm how or what the U.S. would respond to these attacks. The president has said he has to weigh any decision to retaliate against the broader concern that any type of retaliation like this could just light 
the match on the volatile situation in the Middle East. But just last week, the president warned Iran's supreme leader that if they continue to move against U.S. forces in the Middle East, we will respond. Dear Taylor, Beyonce, Barbie, and Messi, thank you so much. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you there. Uh, don't mind me, I'm just writing a letter to thank a few of the reasons why the U.S. economy more than doubled in growth in the third quarter. I'm going to tell you more about that in a second, but first, let's... Let me tell you about the blockbuster numbers. The gross domestic product report was just released and it found 4.9% growth in quarter 3 of 2023 from July to September. That's up from 2.1% growth in the second quarter of this year from April to June. That's five straight quarters of GDP gains. But you might be thinking, with the highest interest rates in 15 years, high inflation and overall feeling a stress by consumers, how could this be true? How could the economy so, be so strong? Well, first you have to remember we're talking about the third quarter. That is July through September. It wasn't the only contributor, but the report found that the number one reason for this recent GDP growth was consumer spending. And I'm not just talking about spending on necessities. I'm talking about spending on luxuries like dining out, travel, and yes, experiences. And we were doing it a lot. Enter Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Barbie, and superstar Messi. Remember when Americans were showing out billions of dollars to see Taylor's Eras Tour and Beyonce's Renaissance Tours? Those tickets were hundreds of dollars each, and they were selling out. And people weren't just spending on tickets. They were spending on buying new outfits, hotel stays, and restaurants. Not to mention the highest-grossing movie of the year, Barbie, which opened in July and has raked in more than $600 million in ticket sales just in the United States. Then there was Messi, this the global soccer superstar who started to play for Inter-Miami's team in July, and ever since fans packed not only Miami stadiums, but also the stadiums of the away teams where Messi is playing, and those tickets are also hundreds of dollars. But travel also picked up in the third quarter. The Federal Reserve says they... Record 33% of American households took a vacation this summer, and the TSA recorded 273 million people pass through one of their airport checkpoints from June to mid-September, all that contributing to the GDP. Now, it's not all rainbows and puppy dogs. There are some things in the report that could be warning signs in the future. The report found Americans saved less of their incomes in the third quarter, which is a sign that maybe they will start to slow spending in the coming quarters. Business investments also stalled, and there are fears that the extended high interest rates in wars in Ukraine and in the Middle East, if they drag on, could really put a strain on the economy in the coming quarters. So it turns out Americans just didn't pay $688 billion in taxes. The IRS says that is the largest shortfall they've ever seen. I'm going to tell you what the IRS is doing about it and what that means for you in a second. But first, the $688 billion of missing tax money was from tax year 2021. The official term for this is a tax gap. And we've talked about tax gaps in the past. They definitely contribute to our national deficit every year. A deficit is when the government spending exceeds the amount of money coming in. Our tax money is considered revenue, money coming in. So when the government expects X amount of money in tax revenue and budgets for that amount, but in reality, if the government 
is $688 million short, it's a problem. That shortfall is added to the deficit for that year, and all the deficits combined make up our national debt, which, as you know, as of today, is $33.6 trillion. So back to this enormous tax gap from 2021 and how it happened. The IRS says the majority of it, $542 billion, was from people under-reporting their income. The remainder was from people who didn't file a tax return, even though they were required to, and people who just didn't pay their bills. But the question is, what happened in 2021 that caused this huge tax gap? The IRS says economic growth, more people quit their W-2 income corporate jobs, where your taxes are usually automatically withheld and moved to the big economy or started their own business, where it's up to you to report your income, and generally the IRS sees less compliance with that. On the positive side, in 2021, the IRS says 85% of taxes were paid voluntarily, accurately and on time, but it's the other 15% that's causing the massive tax gap. So you might be wondering what is the IRS going to do? They are fully expecting late payments from 2021 to still come in, and they are going to go after those people who are either not filing when they should, under-reporting their income, or underpaying their taxes. The IRS believes those efforts will probably bring in an additional $63 billion so that's a debt and a huge tax gap. But the big question is, are they going to increase audits on you and me and everyday taxpayer to try and close this tax gap? The simple answer is no, but the more complicated answer is the number of audits for everyday taxpayers like you and me has always been higher than the audit percentage of wealthy people. Why? Because it's easier and cheaper to come after us. I actually told you about this last month, that some of the biggest contributors to this tax gap are millionaires and corporations that hide assets and have their accountants get creative with the numbers and going after them to get the tax money the government is owed is just harder. It takes more money, more time, and more resources. And in the past, when Congress kept getting the IRS's budget, and they didn't have the money, time, and resources to go after the wealthy and corporations, you take a guess at who they come after and said, oh wait, if you guessed us, the everyday taxpayer, you would be correct. So according to the IRS, audit level for everyday taxpayers is going to be similar to what has always been, which is higher than wealthy people and corporations. But I also told you last month the IRS is already using some of the $80 billion over the next 10 years Congress gave them in the Inflation Reduction Act to actively go after not only 1,600 millionaires who owe more than $250,000 in back taxes and corporations, with more than $10 billion in assets. They are also going to step up enforcements for people with large amounts of digital assets who aren't paying taxes, people who are not paying taxes on foreign bank accounts and construction contractors who are using shell companies to hide income. So forget TurboTax and TaxSlayer. There's another way for you to file your 2023 taxes. And did I mention it's free? The IRS is rolling out a pilot program called Direct File. But since it's a test program, it's not going to be available to everyone just yet. I'll explain who gets access in just a minute. But first, I told you back in June that the IRS was going to develop and roll out this Direct File program using some of that $80 billion over the 10 years Congress gave them in the Inflation Reduction Act. So what's the benefits of the program? Well, first, it's a free software that 
if all goes well, will be available to all taxpayers. Second, it will give taxpayers the ability to file your taxes electronically directly through the IRS without having to go through a third party. And third, the direct file pilot will be available for your desktop, laptop, tablet, and mobile phone. The question is, who is eligible? Well, initially, you have to live in certain states and be a certain type of taxpayer to qualify. You must live in Arizona, California, Massachusetts, New York, Alaska, Florida, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Washington, or Wyoming. So, for the record, all states were invited to participate, but not all of them could integrate their state tax information into the pilot program in time for the rollout. That's why most of the states participating don't have state income tax, but for the states participating that do have state income tax, they were able to integrate their state tax systems into the pilot. The other qualifications to participate into the pilot program is you have to be a certain type of taxpayer with a certain kind of income or claim specific credits or deductions generally to qualify for this pilot, you have to be an individual tax filer with a simple tax return. Your income must be reported on a W-2 through Social Security, unemployment, or you must have interest income less than $1,500. This direct file program will accept the earned income tax credit, the child tax credit, and credits for other dependents, and will accept the standard deduction, student loan interest, or educator expenses. So if you are a business or you itemize your deductions, you won't qualify for this pilot program. It's important to understand if this pilot program goes well, it will eventually be available to all tax filers with all kinds of income tax situations. It's also important that you know this will be in addition to the ways you can file your taxes. It's not going to replace your tax preparer or your TurboTax software or anything else. The IRS says it will start informing taxpayers who qualify for this program mid-February, but they're hopeful that as the tax season rolls on, more taxpayers will become eligible. That is the end of this Monday morning news episode. We will be back here Wednesday morning with another Idiots in the News, and of course I'll be back here Friday morning with a wrap-up in the work week with all the news throughout the week. Until then, enjoy your week, everybody. Bye.